Morning, everybody. It's great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, thank you to the worship team for God so loved. I really like that song. It was awesome. Um, I don't know if this story came across your news feed, but back on June 11th, what was supposed to be an average day for a commercial lobster diver named Michael Packard became a day that would change his life. He and his first mate, Josiah Mayo, were diving to check traps off the, sh the shores of Cape Cod. In 45 foot of water, Michael describes what was like getting hit by a truck, and his surroundings all of a sudden went completely dark. At first, he thought he had been eaten by a white shark, but he realized that he had been swallowed by a humpback whale. Struggling to keep his breathing apparatus on, and as the whale's mouth clamped down on his legs and water rushed all around him, he was convinced that this might be the day that he would die. He was in the whale's mouth for 30 to 40 seconds. I'm sure for him it felt like an eternity. And while he was in there, all he could think about was his wife and his two teenage boys. Mercifully, the whale was just as uncomfortable having Michael inside of his mouth as Michael was being inside the whale's mouth. And the whale rushed to the surface, shook him out of his mouth, witnessed by Josiah and several other recreational fishermen. Life change. Michael was given the gift of being reminded of what's most important and the opportunity to respond to what he realized while he was in the belly of the whale. There are things uh, in our lives that produce changes in us, new ways of seeing. Most of those are not newsworthy stories, but they are key moments for us in our story. When was the last time uh, you experienced life change or growth? You learned to see things a little bit differently. When was the last time you wanted to see life change and growth? but you found how hard it can be. What was it? Think about that this morning, no matter how big or small that was. One of the areas that I wanted to see uh, life change, um, and this may seem trivial <laughs> compared to getting swallowed by a whale, but I have wanted to stop getting on the roller coaster that the Phillies tend to always be on. Is there anybody else in, the, in here this morning that's... Where's Marty? I know, yeah, Carl's back there. Yep, yep. You know, every year, I swear, I'm not going to do it again. You know, but then the Phillies go into, they have New York Mets down to the stadium. They end up sweeping them. They go into first place. And I could see in my heart, I could start having visions of the parade, right? I'm like, maybe we're going to have some meaningful baseball in the fall. <laughs> and they have me hooked. <laughs> and I want that to change because I always get disappointed. <laughs> Uh, another thing that I'd love to see change in my life, I don't know if there's anyone here uh, that struggles with comfort eating, but I struggle with comfort eating, and I would love to see changes in my life in this area. I love cereal. Cereal is the thing that I go to whenever I have a stressful meeting or a stressful day at work. I go to the pantry, and I get the sweetest cereal I can find. <laughs> and my wife can attest to the fact that uh, things get pretty intense when there's no milk in the house. <laughs> Because there's nothing worse than having a box of Lucky Charms and no milk to eat with them. <laughs> and every time I sell myself, you know what? I think I can see my life without cereal. I can do it. I can do it. But then I see the honey bunches of oats and 
pretty soon I'm three, three bowls deep into eating those honey bunches of oats. <laughs> what is your thing this morning that you want to see life change in? Uh, where do you wish your choices could be different? Maybe it's that you'd love to be less concerned about what's happening on social media, less influenced by peer pressure, less judgmental, more open to those who are different. Uh, maybe there's a substance, something that's, that you crave, even though you know there's long-term effects that may not be so good. There's been a lot of things that I've wanted to change, uh, including some of the ones that I mentioned, but I, I, really, I want to be more present with my kids. That's something I've always have struggled with. I want to learn to love my wife more, you know, now 15 years into marriage. How can I continue to love her more? I want to be less envious of other people's gifts and possessions and more grateful. I want to be, uh, I want to care more about the people in need. Uh, I want to I lean into the, the trauma and the pain of my life instead of trying to find ways to mask it and numb it, which I tend to do. And I want to stop looking back, and I want to, you know, wishing that things were like they used to be. And I want to learn to, like, just look right here and say, man, God, you've put some incredible things right in front of me right now. And I've experienced some, some growth, some gradual growth, but I've also experienced a lot of setbacks in those areas. And I can tend to get frustrated with the little progress that I see in those areas that I want to change. But if following Jesus is about anything, it's about the hope that change is possible. And I want to tell you a story this morning from the scriptures uh, whose lessons are the main reason why I don't give up on the changes that I seek in my life. And this story is a whale of a tale story, story of Jonah. Did anyone see that coming? Okay. So this is the story of Jonah. Uh, Jonah, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and God told Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh to preach against them because of their wickedness. And Jonah, instead of listening to God, went down to the shores got on a boat, and went to Tarshish. And while he was out on the sea, uh, a wicked storm came up and began to toss the boat all around, um, and the sailors got panicked that the boat was going to be destroyed. And they all started praying to their gods, wanting to be delivered by, by their gods. And while they were praying, Jonah went down beneath the boat, and he fell asleep. And the sailors came in, and they shook him. They woke him up, and they began to cast lots because they wanted to get down to the bottom. Whose God is responsible for this? And who do we need to pray for in order to be delivered? And the, the lot fell to Jonah, and they realized that this was all Jonah's fault. So um, they began to ask Jonah some questions. They said, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Who are your people? And Jonah looked at them and he responded. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I believe in the God who is the creator, the God of heaven and earth, the one who made the earth and the sea. And they, they began to ask him, you know, what do we need to do if this is your God to stop this wicked storm that's, go, that's happening? And, they, and Jonah said, he said, throw me into the ocean. And they became afraid because they're, they're, they're kind of concerned that if they take this guy who's worshiping this God and now they throw him to the sea, it's going to get worse. But he insisted. They threw him into the ocean, and as soon as they did, the sea got calm. 
And all of these sailors began, the scriptures say, to worship God, to make sacrifices to him, and to begin to commit their lives to him. While Jonah's out in the middle of the ocean, a great fish comes along, swallows him, and takes him down into the bowels of the earth, the bowels of, of the ocean, for three days and for three nights. And this is what Jonah prays when he's in the whale's belly. He says, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and the Lord heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wind and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed around me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains, and I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O oh Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. After three days in the whale, the whale came to the land, spits Jonah, vomits, the scripture says, vomits him onto the dry land, and the word of the Lord comes to him a second time, and he says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach against its wickedness, for their wickedness has come to my ears. So Jonah obeys this time. He goes to the city of Nineveh. It was a great city, and he begins to preach against them. And lo and behold, the Ninevites, who are incredibly wicked people, begin to repent. And the king actually declares a decree, tells everyone to fast and to pray, to put on sackcloth to show their repentance. And they do. And the scriptures say that God actually had compassion on these people, and he relents. He decides not to destroy them. So Jonah sees all this happening, and he goes outside of the city, and he begins to sulk because he is angry at God. And he says, God, you know what? This is why I went to Tarshish. This is why I got on a boat to leave, because I knew you were gracious and compassionate. I saw this day coming, and I didn't want it to come. And God comes to Jonah, and he asks Jonah, he says, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Do you have a right to be angry? So God gives Jonah an object lesson. Causes a vine to grow up, to give Jonah shade, and to ease his discomfort from the scorching sun. That night... God then sends a worm. The worm comes and eats the stalk of the vine, and the vine dies. And God comes to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry that the vine died? And Jonah says, I do, and I'm really angry, and I'd rather be dead than be here. And God says to him, why is it that you are, were able to take great pleasure in that vine? And you were able to change your feelings about that vine and become angry. But I was angry at Nineveh and their wickedness. Why can't I change my heart and take pleasure in seeing them experience my compassion? That's the story of Jonah. 
Three things I want to point out this morning briefly. The first thing, these are lessons that I see about life change, because that's what I want to talk about this morning. And this is the first thing. If we're playing hard to get, God doesn't give up easily. If we're playing hard to get, God doesn't give up easily. God brings the storm that will lead to Jonah's deliverance while he's on a dead run from God. Tarshish is the ends of the earth for Jonah. In the ancient world, before, before Google Maps and satellites, it was the farthest that anyone had gone on the open seas and returned. So for us, it's like Timbuktu, right? It's like the ends of the earth. Jonah didn't care where it was. He's just getting a one-way ticket for the farthest that he could go from God. It's just like the distant country that Jesus uh, tells about in the prodigal son. Uh, the prodigal son leaves and he goes to that far off land, far away from his father. And it's there after days of seeing his strategies for happiness just not work out that he finally comes to his senses. And Jonah is on his way to the ends of the earth and God brings the wind and storm that wreck Jonah's plans and they swallow him and his pride while he's on a dead run to the ends of the earth. And I see in this story that uh, God is relentless in pursuing us. When you peel all the layers of the story away, we get to see God's heart. We get to see God's compassion for the Ninevites, but also for Jonah, for this man who was struggling to trust God. And I would challenge you this week, read through the, the, this story. It's only four chapters. And take a look. See if you see some of these things that I'm seeing. Maybe you'll find some other things there. But I look at this story a little bit differently than when I heard it as a child. Because oftentimes we can reduce this story to just obedience versus disobedience and learning to walk with God and listening to the voice, God's voice. And it is that. But I think it's more than that. I think that even though Jonah defies God, God's fierce love and mercy for Jonah and the people that God wanted to see changed, it only intensifies the farther that Jonah goes from God. And so I want to ask you this morning, because this is one of those things that I think applies, like where are you and I at today? You know, I don't want to assume that just because we show up for church on a, on a Sunday morning that everything's going well. Maybe this morning you and God aren't on speaking terms. Maybe there's something that you've perceived about the way God has acted in your life or some way he hasn't acted in a way that you felt like he should. And there's some frustration there. Maybe the fire of our devotion for God is, is starting to flicker. Maybe this last year has just been too much for you. And you see the world, seems like things are coming apart at the seams. And you're doing like Jonah, you're kind of on a, an about face and you're, you're taken off. Or maybe you're, it's just a slow fade, which oftentimes happens in our spiritual life. But I hope, regardless of where you're at, that you'll find in this story the hope that regardless of what you decide to believe, that God's love for you and me, or, me is fierce. Um, I see in this story a fierce love that God had for Jonah and a great patience for him. There's a song, some of you may be familiar with, there was a guy named Rich Mullins, um, one of my favorite artists, he was a songwriter and musician, and he wrote a song called The Reckless Raging Fury They Call the Love of God. And this is one of the stanzas, it says, there's a wideness in God's mercy 
I cannot find in my own. He keeps his fire burning to melt this heart of stone. He keeps me aching with a yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless raging fury they call the love of God. What was Jonah's heart of stone um, that Rich Mullins talks about here? Jonah's heart of stone, um, as I looked at this, was actually very humbling to realize what it was, because I think the message that we see here is a little bit more radical than I want to believe. Um, most people in Jonah's day would not see him as a rebel. You see from the story that I told, look in chapter 1, verse uh, 9. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, who made the land and the sea. Jonah saw himself as a devout follower of God. He thought he was right in hating the people who hated God. The Ninevites, in many ways, were kind of like different groups like ISIS today. They were ruthless. They were brutal. They were known for dismembering, torturing, decapitating their enemies. And some of the Israelites, including Jonah's people, had experienced that. And he thought that he was right in hating these people. Why shouldn't he? Timothy Keller, uh, in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, about Jonah, says this, just to give you a picture of how ruthless these people were. The Ninevites pulled out their prisoners' tongues. They stretched their bodies with ropes so they could be filleted alive and their skin displayed on city walls. These are the people that Jonah doesn't want to go. <laughs> and I think I'd be right there with Jonah. <laughs> I don't want to go preach against these people. I'd rather see God bring, bring judgment on them. Jonah couldn't conceive that God's grace could be extended to these Ninevites. And he sure didn't want to be the vehicle by which they would find this out. The story has really led me to, to think about the places like Jonah where I put a no trespassing sign for God. And I say, God, I'll do anything, but just don't, don't send me there. Don't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to speak to, to those people, to that person. But what stood in the way of Jonah's heart of stone that God wanted to melt uh, was God's love and his grace. God wanted his love and grace to melt that heart of stone, and he had to use something that Jonah would have never expected. He used the belly of a whale. Most of us uh, will not experience what Michael Packer did when he was out diving for lobsters, the literal belly of a whale, but God may use a Jonah-like experience to change our hearts. So what is the belly of the whale-like experience? Look at chapter 2, if you would, with me. This is how Jonah describes what it's like, not, to, not necessarily to be in the literal belly of the whale, which he was, but what was it like to be in there? What was he experiencing as he was in darkness in the whale? This is what he felt. First thing, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me, and all the waves and the breakers swept over me. Jonah experienced this great loss of control. And if you look at the scriptures, anytime you see these sea creatures being mentioned, it's always about the power of God in creating something that is more powerful than us. And we, he experienced this 
powerlessness. He was out of control. The second thing was that things were no longer familiar like they once were. It was disorienting for Jonah. Jonah goes into the deep, and he enters into the underworld. Chapter 2, verse 3, which I just read. He feels alone. Chapter 2, verse 2. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. He felt like he was in a grave. He was all alone, and that's where God met him. He felt like he was in darkness. And you experience what seems like God no longer sees you. That's what the belly of the whale feels like. It's interesting, and I want to point this out this morning, that Jesus references, he was familiar with the story of Jonah, and he references Jonah in uh, Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 11. There are Pharisees who are coming around him and are asking him for another sign. They, are, they want to be entertained. They want him to do just one more miracle. And Jesus says that I'm not going to give you any more signs except for the sign of Jonah. Jesus says that just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so Jesus is going to be in the tomb for three days and for three nights. So Jesus sees what he's going to go through when he experiences the passion as very similar to what Jonah did when he was in the belly of the whale. Think about those similarities that I just read about the belly of the whale. And think about what Jesus said when darkness comes over him at the cross, when he feels alone, when he feels forsaken. How disorienting was it to actually leave this world, to go, as 1 Peter says, he went to the underworld. Okay, he has this belly of the whale-like experience. And I believe that the Bible shows us that God uses the belly of the whale-like experiences to bring the change that only that type of experience can bring. I think so many times in that my experience of, of our Christian culture is that we're told that if we're good Christians, life is always up and to the right. If you're on track with God, it's always up and to the right. And I think the story of Jonah says anything but that. I think the story of Jonah and the experience that we see in Jesus is that life is up, and for Jonah, it was way down at times. And I believe that if, if I didn't know this about Scripture, if this wasn't something, a part of the way I would think, that I would write off the experiences that I would have later on in life. So one of the experiences that I had that was, that was kind of like a belly of the whale experience, where I was disoriented when I was in darkness, when I was alone, was several years ago. And it was a very dark time in my life. And I could list off everything that I read, and I could say, you know what? That was like what I went through then. Now looking back and being on the other side of it, um, I can see that God orchestrated a perfect storm that I needed to go through because there were things in my life that were, had, were attached to my heart, that had my heartstrings. And as much as I tried to change, I wasn't going to be able to change them on my own. God had to orchestrate the storm. And now looking back, I can see that it was at that time that I experienced God's grace more than I probably ever have. I want to read a quote from Timothy Keller. He says, as soon as Jonah hits the water, 
The God whom he did not trust miraculously saves him. The divine mercy that Jonah finds so inexplicable and offensive turns out to be his only hope. He does not drown. He's swallowed by a great fish, and the prison in that prison, Jonah gets his first insight into the meaning and the wonder of God's grace. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. This, I love this. He says, those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. It was in the belly of the whale that Jonah recognized the grace of God. My last point here is that God is in it for the long haul, and he is a patient counselor. If you're wanting life change and you're struggling to see change, I want you to know that if we believe in the God of Jonah, that God is in it for the long haul, and he's a patient counselor. So what is it? What is it that God's working on in you this morning? As a follower of Jesus, the scriptures say that his spirit now dwells in you, he's made a home in you, and Christ desires that we would become fully alive, fully awake to his presence. God is wanting to hone in on something in my life, in your life this morning. What is that? And I want to look at what we can learn from Jonah about how patient he is in that, in that process. Um, the background of chapter 4, I told you, is that the king of Nineveh told everyone to pray urgently to God, to plead with God for his compassion, and God actually listens, he hears, and he brings compassion. Jonah becomes, verse 1 in chapter 4, we see that Jonah was actually upset. He's mad at God. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah says, this is why I wanted a one-way ticket. I saw this day coming, and I did not want the people of Nineveh to experience your grace. Verse 3, Jonah is dejected, and he wishes he could die. Verse 4, rather than calling down fire from heaven, and this is probably the part of the book that I love the most, God comes to him, and he patiently sits with him, and he invites Jonah to consider how he feels about God's compassion towards the Ninevites. And he gives Jonah this object lesson of the vine growing up, of the worm coming and eating it. And then he asks him this question. He says this, look at um, chapter 10. He says, You have been concerned about the vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned with this great city? And what I think is so interesting uh, about this is that this book actually ends with a question. The book ends there. There's no answer. There's no response from Jonah. We don't know what happens to him. It's completely open-ended. And we're left to wonder, does Jonah's heart change? Right? But all we know is that the story ends with God still sitting with Jonah. <laughs> I love that picture. Still waiting for Jonah's heart to change. Not calling down lightning from heaven. Just sitting with him patiently. 
And I think God does that with us in the things that we desire to see changed in our hearts. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tim asked us this question. He ended his sermon with this. He said, what do you want to be remembered for? And he said, it's not a selfish thing. It's just casting a vision for the remainder of your life. And I thought about that quite a bit, especially when I was studying through the book of Jonah. And it, it, it came to me that this is the thing that I want to be remembered for. I want the people who are closest to me to see in me that the thing that thrills me most is seeing God change people's lives. That's the thing I want. More than anything else, more than anything that this world can buy, that what thrills me, what gets me excited, is when I can see it in my friends, when I can see it in people I'm walking with, with my kids, right? With people at church, when God moves in people's hearts, when he changes them. I want to tell you three stories, quick stories, of recently, within the last month, where I got to see God moving in people's hearts. And it, it's, it, it's what fuels me. It's what excites me. Uh, one of them was a friend. He and I have oftentimes discussed how our experience in life, we have a lot of restlessness. We're anxious. And peace always seems to be just out of grasp. And he pulled me aside one day and gone to the beach and he said, he said, Seth, I found something when I was at the beach. And I thought he was going to tell me some story about what he found in the ocean. And he did, and he got real quiet. And he said, you know what I found? He said, I went out on the sand, and I sat down, and I found contentment for the first time. And I was just like, whoa. Like, <laughs> because I know how hard that is to find sometimes. That's life change. That's not the life change that you read about in the news. But that is life change for that person. That was huge. That was monumental in his life. Another friend sent me a text, and I've walked with this guy, and I know that he's in a world of hurt, and he's just, there's some stuff that he feels like he's losing, and it's just, he has no control over it, and it's just, it's been so unbearable for him. But we both have talked about um, our struggle with just being okay in our skin, being okay with who we are, believing that God likes us, how we are. And he sent me a text one night. It was a short text, and he just said, I'm starting to like who's looking back in the mirror at me. And I was like, wow, that's life change. For that guy, that was huge. That's God at work. That's God on the move. Lastly, um, a person I'm close with, we both struggle with just seeing the glass half empty. Just We can get fixated on something negative, and it just can can ruin our day. And this person had a really difficult week by anybody's standards. And I, as I heard their story, I was like, I don't even know how I would deal with that. That was really difficult. And they came to me at, on, on Friday of that, uh, the first week of kind of what they were going through. And uh, they said, you know what? I had a decent week. I had some really hard stuff, but I also had some really good stuff. And I was like, wow, that's life change. That's big for that person. That's monumental for them. That's God working in them. What's your thing this morning? What's God working on in you? Where are the things that, that sometimes we don't, even, we don't even take time to like share with another person because we think it's so small. 
But when you're walking with people and you're doing community, which we're called to do here in the church, like when you've walked with people and you know, they've shared their story and you know how hard it is for them to get to that point of change, you know that it seems impossible for them. And you know that only God can be the mover that brings them to that place of insight, to that place of new, of being able to see again. And that's how it was for Jonah. It, like God had to be the one who sat with him, who was going to change his heart. That's the hope in the story, is that God's still sitting with Jonah. Jonah's got a heart of stone. He doesn't want to change, but God is still there, patiently waiting with him, sitting with him, waiting for his heart to change. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're on the run. You're headed for Tarshish. Maybe you're in the belly of the whale and you're experiencing uh, that, that difficulty that we find there. Maybe you're outside the city. You're unsure of whether you can trust God enough to bring the change that you need. It doesn't matter where you're at. God is committed to your growth and he's waiting patiently with you. I really, as I was preparing the sermon, I want to end with this. Like, I believe that today is a day where someone's life, you're ready for change. Somebody in, in this congregation, someone listening online, you're ready for life change. And today is your day. We serve a God. We, Jesus says that I am making all things new. Right? This community is called to celebrate the changes that God is doing in our lives. And I really believe that today someone is ready for change and today is your day to experience the change that you've been hoping for. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you this morning. Oh, thank you so much for this story. Thank you so much for uh, what we see about the character of God, uh, the patient God who wakes, waits with us as, uh, as we uh, are needing heart change. God, we're all, our, the great song says that our hearts are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God our lo we love. Um, so we're, we can all find ourselves in the story of Jonah. But we can also find our, ourselves in walking with a God who, who loves us, who has great compassion for us, great compassion for people, and wants us to join him uh, in the freedom that walking with him brings. So I just pray uh, that you would, would bring change in our hearts today. Uh, God, continue to pursue us relentlessly with your fierce love. Uh, we trust you with this, and I thank you for each person who's here. Um, I pray that their hearts would be filled with hope to face what they have right in front of them. And it's in the name of, the, of Jesus we pray. Amen. <laughs>